What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm UB, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Welcome back to Choose Inclusion, everybody. This is Yubi Simonetti, and I'm here, as always, with Nina Baliga and Mike Hess. Hello, team. Hey, everyone. Nina, Ubaldo, Steve, welcome. Awesome. Yes, welcome, Steve. So we are lucky to have Dr. Steve Iacovelli on the show today. And uh, Steve is owner of Top Dog Learning Group. He's also author of Pride Leadership, Strategies for the LGBTQ Plus Leader to be the King or Queen of Their Jungle. And we're going to talk a lot about consciously inclusive leaders and, and um, building inclusive workplaces through the queer lens. It's, it's a perspective we haven't had before. So Steve, welcome to the show. We're really excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you much, guys. So happy to be here. I'm really excited to have a great conversation. Perfect. So let's start off with, um, how did you come to be the gay leadership dude? <laughs> uh, oddly by birth, no. <laughs> um, so I had been in the leadership development, change management, diversity and inclusion space pretty much my whole career. So I like to say that's been three whole years. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's been 25-ish. Nice. Um, right. Yeah, I like to say-ish. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and so it's always been part of my my uh, focus of a, a career, um, whether it be internal to organizations. Uh, you know, it was internal to like Disney and IBM. Um, I was a professor for like a hot minute, and then I kind of did my own uh, gig starting in 2008 in Top Dog Learning Group. And so I, that's always been part of me, and we do a lot of leadership with stuff. And then about um, in 2018, I was at a conference, and I was in between sessions. I'm kind of sorting business cards outside of the next session I'm going to, and this woman's next to me, she's kind of doing the same thing, and she's like, what do you do? And I said, like, well, diversity training, blah, blah, blah. How about you? She's like, I'm a publisher. I said, you know what? There's a book in my head that needs to come out. And she's like, well, let's get it out. And flash forward, Jen became my publisher with Publisher Purpose Press. And as we were going through um, writing Pride Leadership and kind of getting that up there, I said, you know what? I just want to be known as the gay leadership dude. She's like, well, make that your thing. I'm like, you're right. I should. And so that's kind of how the gay leadership dude was, was born. She jokingly says that she was, she actually had the trademark of professional lesbian. So it kind of like, you know, worked together between the two of us. And, uh, and, but so Top Dog Learning Group um, birthed the gay leadership dude in uh, 2019. And uh, I've actually now have the copyright to that. That is mine. And my, I'm the only one in the world now, TM on the end there. Oh, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, so what makes what makes um, leadership from the pride kind of uh, LGBTQ lens different than, say, leadership advice for everyone? For- you know, everyone. Yeah, Nina, it's a great question. I, when I first started to write the leadership book, I was just kind of go down the generic path. And, and uh, so you're trying to figure out what are the competencies that I've been seeing in the workplace and people really, you know, who are rocking and rolling in leadership do well, those who are crashing and burning, what they don't do or don't have. And then, um, you know, if y'all ever saw um, Sex in the City, if you know that show, um, you know, Carrie Bradshaw would always sit down to her, to her, her Mac and be like, I couldn't help but wonder. And, and that's kind of what started going through my head as 
I started to write the book, I'm looking at a lot of my um, my LGBTQ blue brothers and sisters who are doing leadership in advocacy groups and, and whatever that looks like. And the little Carrie Bradshaw, I couldn't help but wonder, started looking and saying, is there a correlation between being a, a member of, of the queer community and just having an opportunity to flex your leadership muscles a little bit differently? And, and, and actually now in hindsight, I would say any one of us who's part of the quote, quote unquote, other group really does have a lot of these things as well. I just put it through the queer lens because that's what I know. Um, but you know, for example, I talk about uh, six competencies in pride leadership, authenticity, courage, empathy, communication, relationships, and culture. And so if you think about authenticity, so as a, an out, so I'm a white cisgendered gay dude, but as a gay dude, if I'm out at work, whether that be at a client or internal to a company, um, that's pretty darn authentic of myself to be who I am and to embrace that. And I would argue, and I do argue in pride leadership, that when you embrace that otherness that you have, in this, in this case being queer or being LGBTQ+, you actually are already exercising some of the awesome competencies that make a leader really, really cool. And so that's part of what the, the, the conversation of pride leadership shares is, you know, you know kind of embrace that difference that you have because you're already flexing the muscles. Now let's just channel that energy to be a more effective leader in your respective workplace. Hi, Steve. This is Mike, and I so love this conversation. I think I was telling you uh, before we get online how, um, with in my role, how I'm always attempting to coach uh, professionals with disabilities to be uh, to to be super okay to to embrace their you know quote unquote disability because it uh you know what 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 that means is you know the resiliency muscle what that means is your creative problem solving badass self mm. is coming to the table um so I, I i love the the theme there so however give me like so and i, I love i love you sharing how you know these are traits innate within lgbtq plus right however what so how how do you then coach somebody who is not necessarily from that community to also um demonstrate those same uh those same traits yeah another great question mike so um a quick story when i wrote pride leadership and i was waiting for my editor heather heather the editor kind of fun um for her to to provide me feedback i was like so scared because you know she's the second person in the universe besides myself to actually see my book and so i'm, I'm in a coffee shop in downtown orlando where i live and she calls and I'm, I'm like a kid at the principal's office and she's like okay steve before i start i have to tell you something I am not your target audience. I'm a white cisgendered straight woman. I'm like, okay. And she's like, this is the book I wanted for my, my uh, MBA program. I'm like, what? Tell me more. And, and so she told me how it was very approachable, even though it was through, you know, my, my bad dad gay jokes and all that stuff in it. At the, the fundamental core of the conversation is how you as any other embrace it. And that's what she kind of said in her feedback. And I truly believe that's true. Um, I put the lens through, uh, LGBT, I guess, through my rainbow lens, because that's the other that I am. I mean, you know, I, I actually came out a little bit later uh, in life. I was like only 23-ish, so I was after undergrad. So I grew up with the, you know, perceived um, white, straight, uh, you know, slash heterosexual, um, male 
privilege advantage that comes with all of that. I'm from a middle-class family, parents, blue collar workers, but you know, there was still that advantage that I have. So then when I became an uh, quote unquote other, when I figured out my, uh, my true authentic, authentic self, it shifted the lens of everything around me. And I didn't realize that. And I think that powerful experience really allows me to kind of tell my story. And I think any of us awesome others out there as everyone in this room, and, and, and I'm sure many of you listening, you know, just embrace your difference because that's actually your power that sets you apart from others, especially when we talk about leadership and understanding empathy and really being able to engage those around you. Well, and when you, was there sort of a backlash though, would you say when, when you became your authentic self, you know, essentially you were just alerting the world to one difference that they had known about you. But did, did that one difference create a backlash from certain people in the community? You know, did they come back? Were they like, whoa, I didn't know that about you. Now I think differently about you. Did you find that? Very few, but I found a few and, you know, and, and they'd say, you know, I didn't know that about you. I'm like, guess what? I didn't know that about, know that about me either. So we're in the same boat and, and very few people, I, I, I can, I think I can literally count like three people who cut me out of their life thinking you lied to me for the four years we were in undergrad. I'm like, dude, I was lying to myself. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, uh, but for the most part, uh, everyone eventually came around. Um, you know, some of my ex-girlfriends were a bit heartbroken, I will say, but uh, uh, that, that's okay. You know, I mean, ever, uh, ultimately speaking, I mean, at this point in my life, I'm, you know, I'm pushing 50 and, and and all these people are still Facebook friends and supporting each other. And, and, you know, they love my husband more than, you know, they love me now, which is fine. So um, I, I think that most people, you know, it took them time, various degrees of time, but they were able to kind of reshape or reformulate their perception of me through kind of the new data point, if you will, that I gave them, but it was only one data point in the whole equation. You know, Steve, one of the things that we keep, keep on hearing in all these conversations is the term allyship, right? Like everyone throws that around. Everyone says, I'm an ally. And I think as you're talking to leaders, we need to be really clear about what that word means. And I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, what do you think allyship means and what do you want to see leaders doing? I love I love that that phrase allyship, and I, I think um, I like that it's getting a lot more focus and attention, especially in um, the the times that we're in, with a lot more social justice, Black Lives Matter, and really understanding that. So I have always taken the approach of, um, and and you know, you be kind of shared shared the story uh, or the phrase earlier. Um, I use the phrase being a consciously inclusive leader because I think um, to me that's that's the essence of being an ally. That you're really trying to foster a, a, a feeling of respect and belonging for everyone who's around you, not just you know for for me as a male, for my female coworkers and friends and colleagues. Of course, I want that, but also for my brothers and sisters of color, for my differ, differing able friends out there, for um, other letters of the LGBTQ plus community who, who I'm just the G. And so I, I think if, if I, and I like to approach it in the workshops and, and actually chapter three of my book, um, saying let's be consciously inclusive. So it's kind of that opposite of unconscious bias. And so a really good ally or a true ally will work to be more inclusive with all of those around them. And that can be of varying degrees of comfort, of varying degrees of success, but just having that first step to be like, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to be inclusive with those around me, with all the quote unquote others in my world. That's an awesome starting point. I think that's really where the the core and the heart of true allyship starts. I 
I, I, I totally dig this, Steve. I'm, um, I, I, I like the words that are coming out of your mouth. I really do. So the, uh, and I, I don't know if I, and I missed the pre-call. Uh, so I do apologize for that, but the, we, we, we chose our podcast name, Choose Inclusion, because of that very intentional um, action, right? Like you you got to choose to be inclusive. And, and uh, just to, to also let you know, like I, for an organization uh, from BIT's perspective, I also like very much followed um, all of the amazingness that happened within the LGBTQ plus community in the last, call it 20 years, where all of a sudden, you know, kind of be like, there was a time like when I was in high school and then my twenties that it, it, it like it, it still wasn't okay to even talk about it very much. And then all of a sudden, like, not only did it, was it okay to talk about it? Then it was like, uh, you know, same sex marriage and all this, like it's, there were so many things that fast tracked. And so I love the fact that within the fortune 10,000 space, like, you know, there's uh you know, the, the ERGs or BRG constructs that are absolutely there to um, support, you know, uh, relationship orientation. And so, you know, with that Fortune 10,000 lens, like how, what, how do you work with organizations to, um, again, continue to uh, get even more traction? Yeah, that, it, that's, it's great, Mike, because um, a lot of the my uh, Top Dog's clients are uh, the Fortune 500. And so we work with a, directly with a lot of um, the queer employee resource groups or business resource groups, whatever phrase they, they go by, because there, there's a couple of things that have been at play. One, um, you know, and, and when I teach my, my workshops, I always say, you know, organizations embrace diversity, inclusion, and belonging for for one of three or all three reasons. One, because someone told them they have to. And so whether it's the law or what that looks like. Um, so you know, the, the law says we have to. Two, it's, well, it's the right thing to do, kind of on the complete opposite side. You know, of course, we want everyone to feel included and belong and respected. But then there's the business case. And and so, um, you know, and I, I, I approach teaching people in the corporate workplace, um, embracing in inclusivity, through all three lenses and because it's going to resonate with some i mean i would venture those listening here and, and all of you in this room you know we all know it's the right thing to do we want people to feel yes of course but i've seen many times in in the stuff that i do at clients where you know there's the, there's the the person sitting there with their arms folded and they're just not bought in so when i can say you know what okay that's fine you may not be there you may may not be down with a punitive thing but you know what this is going to make your business better because studies are already out the business case for inclusivity and so we'll use the queer lens for example um you know this is how much the lgbtq blue community can spend and looks at and the brand loyalty that they have so you know what it's actually in your organization's best interest to do this oh by the way it's really flipping awesome for the world to make us a better place overall but that's kind of some of the ways in and, and just real quick story to kind of cap that off I started using the phrase consciously inclusive because uh, I used to be, work at Disney and that's where I started first getting into the diversity stuff. And I was doing a workshop on unconscious bias and that was one of the topic areas. And there's a gentleman in my session and he's clearly voluntold to be there. You know, he didn't really want to be there. And he, he, also, he too had his arms folded, sitting in the back. Um, we'll call him Fred. And um, so finally, I, you know, I just, you could just feel the oozing of like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. So I said, Fred, is there something you want to share with me? He's like, well, you're talking about unconscious bias. That means I can't do anything about it. And just kind of folded his hands. And that's where it's like, um, okay, 
I'm not going to use that phrasing ever again. And, and so I think um, organizations are smart when they start to, to embrace and, and be consciously inclusive because it's not just the right thing to do, but it's also going to benefit their bottom line. I think that was a mic drop for all of us. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, oh, man, so there's so much here. Um, I think, I think uh, another kind of fascinating thing that we had talked about, you know, on the pre-call, um, and this is something that, that Mike talks about a lot, is this, you know, this, uh, this idea of oppression within our own communities, right? Our own in-groups, our, 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 our own underrepresented communities. Um, that there's, there's, there's oppression that, that still happens, even though everybody in that community has one thing, main thing in common. I mean, what, how do you, you know, cause you've said you're, you're a white male and you, you know, you, you, but, and you're gay and you're part of this community, this LGBTQ plus community. But so, so how do you navigate that? And what, what, how has that sort of changed your views on, on helping leaders? I, so several years ago, when I found myself as a young gayling being part of all these little alphabets and letters, uh, you know, I didn't really understand the trans experience. I didn't really have at the time any trans friends. And so, you know, I, and then I, as, as time progresses and you broaden your, your circle of friends, I started really hanging out more and more with my trans brothers and sisters and understanding that they are marginalized within our own little alphabet soup of the LGBTQ plus. And I was like, okay, that's not fair. You know, like, like we're all about inclusivity and there's a big shiny asterisk on that. No, that's not how that works. So what I tried to do is, is just try to understand, um, you know, my trans brothers and sisters experience and, and, and try to immerse myself and, and be open. And, and I, as I say, with, with every good ally, your number one tool is to listen. And so you ask questions and then you shut the heck up and listen to the stories and the experiences that are shared. And so I made that conscious effort to do that. And, and I also think about, um, you know, the, uh, folks within the community who, who identify as bisexual. You know, so many gay and lesbian people say, oh, they're just like a, you know, a six pack and a beer away from uh, going on to the other side or the other letter or whatever it is. And I'm like, that's not fair. And so, you know, I, I am constantly working within my own community to help broaden that respect and understanding of, of the others, because it, it's, when we start to kind of fight within our own house, it, it's, it, we're not going to be able to to stand together united against some of the other effects from outside of our community. I think that's with a lot of us. And I really think that the challenge comes from just not understanding that that otherness or, or, or that other facet or that other experience. You know, as, as a, a cisgendered man, I don't understand the trans experience. Of course I don't. But I can ask and try to understand just like I, I will never understand the true experience of my black and brown friends, but I can ask and say, how are you feeling? What, how does it impact you? What are some of the challenges you face? And how can I help mitigate them in your world, leveraging the advantage that this little white face has? And, and I think that's the power we all have is, is just to sit down and listen, to ask the right questions, and, and, and then you know, to paraphrase Stephen Covey, to not listen to respond, but really listen to truly understand. Steve, we're going to go into, we're going to try and avoid politics, but uh, we do want to talk about kind of your experiences living in Orlando. Um, you know, there's been so much that's happened with the LGBTQ community 
on there. I was wondering if you could share that with our audience today. Yeah, and, and thank you for asking. I will say, um, so I did lose friends in the Pulse Massacre. I, I live about a mile-ish from there. Um, I do have my own personal story of the morning of all this transpiring and, and all that. But I that aside right now, what I will say is, you know, for those who, who are listening who think Orlando is, is Mickey Mouse, Harry Potter, Shamu, and maybe a big giant convention center, you're right, your perception is your reality, but there is so much more to the community here in Central Florida. And and I've been here, I, I grew up in the Philadelphia area, I've moved in a couple different places, lived in Ohio, lived abroad, and I've lived in Orlando um, for the last 23 years, and, and have seen it really change and migrate and, and grow. And one of the things that's really awesome about this city is we started down the inclusivity path many, many years ago because we're Florida and we have a really awesome Latinx uh, community. Uh, we're, we're the, I think, the largest Puerto Rican population outside of New York, outside of Puerto Rico, which is like really cool. And so you have these cultural influences that kind of permeate throughout to begin with. Then you add the complexity of um, the, you know, all the different others. So I'm putting my bunny ear quotes up. And then um, when pre-Pulse, the, the queer community was was fairly, was was well engaged. I mean, you know, we have a, um, one of our long-standing uh, city commissioners is, is uh, an out lesbian, which I jokingly call her. She's a friend of mine. Um, you know, they always say the, you know, openly, uh, open lesbian commissioner Patty Sheehan. I'm like, is that your longest title in the world that, you know, is that on your business card? But, um, but you know, we are fairly inclusive. But then when polls happen, this weird, gorgeous, you know, the silver lining on, on a horrendous experience for our entire community was the inclusivity and the embracing of all of us. And, and to see the vigils and to see the, the outpour of solidarity and, and the number of rainbow signs that popped up in people's yards who were, were just awesome allies, the, the line for people to donate blood immediately after. I mean, it's, it, I, I get chills still to this day, and that's how Orlando continues to be. And, and regardless of um, you know what other you are, we still kind of have each other's backs that way. That hasn't dimmed or gone away. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things that people don't necessarily understand about Central Florida and Orlando specifically is we are this little tiny, um, and, and I will say, blue oasis in a very big sea of red in the state of Florida. And there's there's pockets of blue here. We're this this center island. As I, I said during the pre-show, there was a... Um, uh, an article in Politico, so I can't take credit for this phrasing, but they call Orlando the blue beating heart of Florida, meaning that you know, our, our inclusivity and our open nature is kind of starting to permeate throughout the state. And I kind of like to think about that. That's, that's pretty darn true. Well, and I, I got to like, and again, not getting political here, but obviously, you know, we live here in Colorado, Nina, Ubaldo, and myself, and um, Governor Polis, right? First open, openly uh gay governor right like isn't uh like that's 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 absolutely and then mayor mayor pete uh yep. I, I massacre his name from south bend Buttigieg. Uh, Buttigieg, yeah and i, I it, my software because so my my software says it one way and so i uh, uh because it's a screen reader software so i, yep, yep. I it's it's horrible for my ear and tongue to connect that so i apologize so but mayor no pete I, I love, 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 uh, and I, not meaning it from a um, uh, not wanting to learn it lens. Please, please know that. So I, um, so I, I, again, I feel like the, the, um, 
this otherness that you're calling it, this uh, willing to accept it, even from a political perspective, like they're, they're like, it's like, um, obviously Colorado is a pretty purple place. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe less surprising. However, uh, last I knew Indiana, not so much. And so I, I really, I'm encouraged by, you know, otherness uh, actually kind of permeating within um, or at least trickling into right the political ranks uh yeah. what what is your what is your give me your 5 10 20 year lens and otherness for our country uh it's a great question mike so I love Mayor Pete. I've had a pleasure meeting him. I actually gave him and, and his husband uh, copies of my book when he was uh, kind of rooting through Orlando here. And um, so I, I tell um, my sister and I were extremely close. And I say Pete Buttigieg is the perfect starter gay for people who aren't comfortable with uh, a, a queer person in power because you know, he, he's you know, military, brilliant, uh, multilingual. Um, you know, but he and he's he's a pretty calm, chill you know, non-flamboyant homosexual. And and I think like for some people that's okay. That's like their, like I said, their starter gay. But to, to answer your question, um, I, I think it's, it's these types of things that are really starting to chip away with, in addition to the rest of us who are fostering it and moving um, the concept of inclusivity toward that forefront. So it's, it's like Kamala Harris, you know, I mean, you know, who will hopefully and I'll, I'll, I'll just say it, will hopefully be our vice president. Uh, because how awesome will that be? This, this young woman of, younger woman of color is, is going to be potentially the VP or, or even just the candidates who ran uh, for the Democratic ticket. I mean, it was a cornucopia of people. And I think that is becoming more of the norm. And I think in five or so years, we're not going to be having this conversation about those demographic differences. Um, it, it, you know, or, or it might be different demographic types things you know like oh wow well they're not very tech savvy <laughs> and that's kind of where we're going with that and then we'll exclude folks for that for that reason but uh, i think really just um to kind of put a, a cap on it it's it's i truly feel that in we'll say five ish years that that's um those demographic variables aren't gonna be such a big deal um i i i'm actually excited for the day when um us white folks are in the minority because i think then that's going to be a really fantastic way for um all of the others to really kind of shine through and 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 allow people who maybe have had that that uh privilege or advantage or whatever word you like to see things a little bit differently and and, and kind of get an understanding on um what does that feel like and look like when you are in that that facet of the otherness and and so that's kind of my my crystal ball hope for politics and and really the world in general i will take that future i I love it and yeah steve it's been um just a great pleasure you know i think it's there's we, we always want our audience to be able to take away stuff you know and and i feel like we've just been so lucky to have guests like you who are are really like giving them more pages for their playbook to take back to their organizations and figure out the best way to build an inclusive place to work there where anybody can see themselves working right and that's the goal um so thank you so much for for what you're doing thank you for you know, trusting us with your voice and giving us an opportunity to chat with you. It's been really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and y'all keep doing the good work that you're doing. It's, it takes all of us to kind of keep chugging down that road of inclusivity and fostering respect and belonging. So uh, keep doing the great work.
Thanks, Steve. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you everybody for continuing to tune in. And uh, as always, chooseinclusion.com. And now we're on uh, not only Apple Podcasts, but Spotify, YouTube, and Amazon Music. So we're excited about that. And we'll continue to, to bring you amazing voices like this. So thank you again and take care, everybody. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.